Reading in Church, a proud partner with Audible.com. Previously on Reading in Church and Other Distractions. The, if you read the psalm in the context of, I would say, book three, which obviously I'm a canonical scholar and that's what mm-hmm. I did, um, then this temple is in the middle of, you know, oh God, stop keeping silent, answer us, we're suffering. Yeah. Uh, and then a lament that comes in 85 as well. So it's it's in the middle of of these laments. And I have actually, I've actually published and on record as saying that I think Psalm 84 is a song sung from exile rather than sung in celebration. Dude, you're going to get so much pushback on that. I know. <laughs> I know. But I know. kudos to you for get, just putting it out there, man. <laughs> man. It's... It is, you know, Mike. <laughs> not I, a, I, not afraid of the hot button issues. It, it, I would get pushed back if I. Oh, gave the that phones an are SPL. lighting up. The phones are <laughs> glowing. If I was giving this at an SBL meeting, you know, I would get pushed back. But, <laughs> oh yeah, so regardless but, of what you're saying. No matter what I'm saying, but I don't think anybody here would give me pushback. But, but no, I, I seriously do. I think that you know, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord. Better is one day mm-hmm. than and then and being and talking about uh, the wilderness, the desert of Baca. That we don't know exactly where that is, but it's obviously a desert, <laughs> not a, not a nice place. I mean, so uh, it may symbolize desertness. I'm thinking that the desert here might symbolize desert. Okay. Welcome to reading in church and other distractions with. Rob and Mike. Welcome back to Reading in Church and Other Distractions. I am Robert Wallace. I'm Big Mike. <laughs> Were you waiting on that one or something? I, I just. I... I'm Big Mike. Uh, I heard someone talk about themselves as big and little. Like when, wow. I, when I'm Big Mike, I'm not easily offended. I can go through things like I'm little. Little Mike is easily offended and <laughs> I see. carries grudges. So I'm. You know, you know it's not going to be a big podcast if I say I'm Little Mike. <laughs> Oh, that's right. It's going to be a, a petty and, and, you know, lousy podcast. Hopefully we'll have a big mic tonight. Well, <laughs> these are the readings for September 9th, 2018. Uh, proper 18, our 16th Sunday after Pentecost. Whew. So we are, you know, it, we're already in the midst of our Advent planning and such. So it's oh. just crazy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The year goes. Anyway, we have uh, four readings as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are following the consecutive readings. Uh, so that would be Proverbs 22, verses 1 and 2, 8 and 9, and 22 through 23. Hence, consecutive. Yeah, very consecutive there. And <laughs> Not then, contiguous. Uh, so, <laughs> right. Consecutive. Psalm 125. Uh, and then in the New Testament, uh, James 2, 1 to 13. We're going to do New no, Testament? Excuse me. Okay. 1 to 14, I guess. That, or 1 to 17. That's a, that, we're going to do all of this. Yeah, just read the whole thing if you want. And then uh, Mark seven twenty four to thirty seven, one of my uh, problematic passages in the course of my life mm-hmm. that you have already helped me with a little bit, yeah. and maybe will help me yeah. more today. Racist so. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I, was that the title of the last time we did this? Our show one was racist no, Jesus. That has not been a title. <laughs> uh, just checking. It might work. So anyway, if you're uh, listening to us, hope you will follow us on Facebook. Uh, at That's a different church. podcast. <laughs> yes, Racist Jesus is a very different podcast. <laughs> hope you will follow us on Twitter at Reading in Church. Um, send us an email at readinginchurch at gmail.com for any of your questions. We've had some uh, already. Some folks interacted on Facebook. Uh, a couple had uh, questions about Song of Songs, and a couple wanted uh, oh. a link to the instructions of how to cast iron, do the cast iron skillet. So, <laughs> I, I, saw I, the, was, I saw the skillet I, stuff. I didn't see any stuff about 
Yeah. So, song of songs. Able to, uh, hey, you know, full range, full service podcast. Don't That's get those too confused. By the way, the uh, the cast iron turned out great. I put a picture on our page. and I saw uh, that. Yeah. So the magic of flaxseed oil. Uh, so anyway, uh, I know folks were worried about that. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the cast iron turned out good. There's no skillet metaphors in Song of Songs, I, is there? I don't think so. No, that was the 1950s. Your visage is like a skillet freshly, freshly, <laughs> freshly, freshly seasoned. seasoned with flaxseed oil. Your hair is like a herd of gathering swine you know, plunging really off think, a cliff. I, th- I think there's something there, actually. They really so. had different conventions of beauty back then. <laughs> totally cultural. Cultural. Totally cultural. <laughs> All right, you want to do uh, Proverbs 22? Yeah, speaking of Solomon. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, why not? Go ahead. All right, Solomon. <laughs> no, sorry, Proverbs. Proverbs, 22. Yes. Yeah, boy, I'm glad they got these verses separated out here. It could have been bad. Let's see. All right, Proverbs 22. Uh, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. I'm not supposed to like pause for laughter in between these. Isn't it? Every, yeah, right. They all read like they have a punchline. Okay. <laughs> Do not rob the poor because they are poor or crush... You're going to rob them. Find some other reason. Give me me a good reason. (laughs) No, no, no. Sorry. Or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord pleads their cause and despoils the life of those who despoil them. I'm sure that sounded better in the original. Common word that we use regularly, (laughs) despoil. That's tattooed on my right bicep. Yeah. So uh, Proverbs, this is, I, I don't remember if we've done any readings in Proverbs uh, it before It doesn't now, strike so, me as though we have. So we should probably say a few words about that. Proverbs is uh, one of the classical wisdom books that we have in the Old Testament. Uh, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes are usually the sort of default wisdom texts. Uh, sometimes you'll have someone like me who might put songs in that as a as sort of talk about it, at least in the context of wisdom. Um, there are some psalms that have wisdom flavor in them as well, but Proverbs is sort of the classic one, if I mentioned a wisdom text. And as you noted, it, it is associated with Solomon because he was a teacher of Proverbs. But there are other authors listed in the book, um, Agur and uh, Hezekiah. But and none Indian, wiser uh, than Solomon. Lemuel. Okay. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Proverbs is, wisdom literature is sort of, I don't know, sort of problematic. The, the term I've always used is um, indirect revelation for, for Proverbs, uh, that, mm-hmm. that you have a, um, this belief that God designed the world to function according to certain rules, and that by observing the world, you might be able to intuit something of mm-hmm. God's will. And so uh, it's better to work hard than it is to be lazy it's better to get up early than it is to sleep late hang on I'm, I'm writing some of this down hang on Can you go <laughs> a penny saved is a penny earned this explains I mean, you know, a lot right uh, wait 30 minutes before swimming mm-hmm. those kinds uh-huh. of things that you don't find in put Roberts. all your eggs in one basket correct oh. you know early bird gets the worms second mouse gets the cheese mm-hmm. um oh. but uh the these these are are sort of pithy bumper sticker sayings that come from observing the world. Now, the, the trouble comes, and, and I think if you take that like wisdom literature, that's fine. There's no, there's no challenge there. 
But when you end up trying to read them like Torah, that's when you're going to get into trouble. Um, because the, the idea of the wisdom literature is not to to give you hard and fast rules for how life works in the world. Like, like you're never give... going to rob the poor. It's just right. it's a good idea, but it's not. No, I don't think that's what I'm trying <laughs> okay. to say. All right. But but what I'm saying is that when you that it's like even in our own proverbial culture, and I don't think we have as many anymore. I mean, my grandfather was great at Proverbs. Oh, but, yes. But, uh, but on our, yeah, yes. But in our own proverbial culture we have contradictions like we'll say nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, and then we'll say a bird in the hands were two in the bush. Mm. Well, well, which does that mean? Which, which do you follow? Do you take the chance? Well, they or have those you, in Proverbs back to back though, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going for yeah. is that, that you get a, a proverb, a, particularly the one that always I just love is, is uh, you get someone who starts getting a little snotty with you. Um, a student or so. And you know how, well, what I love about the Bible is how it never contradicts itself. Mm. And so what I always go is to Proverbs 26. Very relevant um, for this podcast, but go ahead. Right. right. Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5, because mm -hmm. Proverbs 26, 4 is do not answer a fool according mm -hmm. to his folly right. or you yourself will be like him, which is good advice, yeah. right? Don't let right. stupid people pull you into a fight. Yep. And then Proverbs 26 verse 5 is answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. And in other during words, the podcast, you are always pivoting back and forth between I, I, those, right? I, I am. <laughs> I see where you're what going I, with this. <laughs> trying to figure out when do I answer the fool? <laughs> when do I just power through and ignore him? Mm -hmm. um, but the point is, that's not the same. So those are direct contradiction. Why? Because you know what? Sometimes you got to tell stupid people they're stupid. And sometimes you just let stupid people go, right? Yep. You just let it. It's not worth your time. Well, and the real wisdom is knowing when to apply those. Yeah. And, and so it's not, it's not Torah. It's not thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, okay. I mean, if they're cute, no, that's not, that's not right. what's happening. Right. Right. Torah is, you know, spoken from God from on high Proverbs are, you know what? It's better to be a good parent than a bad parent. Mm -hmm. it's, it's better to get up early. It's better to work hard, but it's not, it's not in any way a guarantee. So mm -hmm. I, I sort of get triggered when people use Proverbs because I've seen them use so many bad ways, right? I've seen how many prosperity gospel people kind of quote these as oh, though they are yes. some sort of guarantee. You know, those who are generous are blessed. Really? All the generous mm -hmm. people are blessed? You, yes. You've never known yes. a generous person who's they're, not blessed? They're very helpful well, for comforting people in their it, misery. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's, it is so... Yeah, it's that kind of and, and and I really think that's what this is one of those times I love to quote James Sanders, um, Bible scholar who said that the Bible is self-correcting mm -hmm. because he said um, because you come to Proverbs and it gives you this. But then you get Ecclesiastes and Job that are like, you know what, why don't you pump the brakes on that a little bit? Because oh, okay. maybe maybe that sort of Deuteronomic theology, that kind of retributive justice that says that good people get good things and bad people get bad things. Not always the case. And and so in general, is it better to work hard? In general, is it better to get up early? Yeah, that's true. Um, but but don't you can't use them as as the law, as Torah. That's, Man, you're that's like different. aiming at my head with that get up early stuff. It's like I'm, I know I am. I'm throwing this, it right this at This is you. all about me. Because <laughs> well, when you consider the time we're doing this podcast, one of us is working outside of our comfort zone and the other one is right in his wheelhouse. So that's all I've got to say about uh, that. Computer. I just came from hours and hours of teaching. So <laughs> Yeah, well. I didn't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I used to be a professor. Did you Did you know that? Sabbatical anyway. is horrible. I have to show up for a couple hours every week and teach. <laughs> horrible. Um, the other thing that might be interested about this section is I, I said that Proverbs is indirect revelation. Um, 
it, it's not like Israel were the only people who looked at the world and decided made decisions based on the observations of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. No, um, people and, in the South and, do that. Like your, yeah. <laughs> your papa. <laughs> My papa, for example. Um, it, it is common throughout the, the uh, ancient Near East to have this genre of wisdom literature. And Israel never hesitated to borrow from these other countries. And this is actually a section, or it actually includes a section, 23, 20, verses 22 and 23 here, are in the section between Proverbs 22 and 24, in which there is a tremendous amount of borrowing from an Egyptian document. Doesn't um, Proverbs say something warning about borrowing? Doesn't it, it warn something? It might. I don't know. No, mm. I think that was Benjamin Franklin. Probably corrects um, itself later. The, uh, <laughs> but Proverbs 22 through 24 borrows from an Egyptian text known of the instruction of Amenemope. Uh, and there are some, and particularly this don't rob the poor, uh, don't, be, don't make friends with angry people, don't rob the widow, don't move a boundary line, pay attention to these 30 sayings. I mean, there's a lot of these echoes that there are more, they're more than just a coincidence. It really seems like the, the sages in ancient Israel were like, oh, you know what? This, mm. this is good advice. Let's mm-hmm. pull this out, yep. hide the Egyptian God stuff and drop it into the, the text here yep. um, and appropriate it. So um, it wasn't anything that Israel had a problem with, you know, they felt like, you know what? God speaks through nature. Egypt looks at nature and we can borrow this stuff from Egypt. We just won't have the Egyptian gods in it. Sure. And, and I actually, that point set a girl completely off in one of my classes. Really? Once. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, now in fairness, she had been cooking since creation and hadn't said anything. Oh, okay. And so I, I was, cooking, I, you know, cooking since creation. She had cooking <laughs> since creation. She was, um, she was upset about me showing where Genesis one is obviously invoking other ancient Near Eastern images to try and make its point. She was upset that the flood. There was you the same go thing. again. I know. Uh, she was upset that that Genesis that the flood story was doing the same thing. Tower of Babel's doing the same thing. All this borrowing was bothering her. And when I got to this one, which was about November, Ooh, so she's been cooking she's since September. It. Had it. She just, she just clicked. She's snapped right in the middle Ooh, of class, and she said, well, me "Why don't we this. just add everything? What what what? Why don't we just put what we want in the Bible? Right? It's okay." And she just went, and and I finally got her calmed down. And after class, it was everything. She just came spewing out with everything, and oh and it was it was she didn't you know text criticism and the whole canonical process and the borrowing of the ancient. I mean everything. And so I'm talking her through. And, and I promise I was trying to help. I really was. And I said, Michelle, I know all of this. Or whatever the person's name was. <laughs> I said, she said it was okay for me to use her name. Oh, okay. I, I've asked her because I've, I've actually put the story on a blog oh, before. Okay. Um, I said, Michelle, I know all of this and I still have a deep and abiding faith. And she looked at me and I swear to you, her direct quote was, well, so did I. And then I read the Bible. Yep. There you and- go. <laughs> Yes, Which, that's right. And I, I laughed. What else yeah, can you do? I know. I laughed, and she, and she went. Out, she goes. I used to think that was a good idea. Are you having a hard time? <laughs> you should read the Bible. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, no. Here, go to these ten verses, but don't go flipping around. That book will mess you up. That's right. <laughs> so, so I finally kind of talked her down, and and uh, you'll be happy to know that she's still a Christian today and mm-hmm. doing well. But. Uh, but yeah, this is a section that really bothered her. It just this, this reads from a little of, book called God's Promises that it is <laughs> this, bar- this borrowing of uh, of texts from other countries. It really upset her, and and I don't think it needs to, but you know, it does mm-hmm. for people. So anyway, um, mm. you know what? That was a remarkably 
positive survey of the book of Proverbs for all of my negative reaction toward it in my life. So, <laughs> well, I, look, I've seen people use train up a child in the way he will go mm-hmm. to comment on someone else's bad parenting. Yep. And, and that is, I mean, oh man, I talk about getting upset. I just like, come no, on, that's no. what are you not even using the Bible right now? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. It's, all that verse is saying is, you know what? It's better to be a good parent than a bad parent. Yes. You give your kids yeah. the best chance if you're a good parent. Sometimes but, it pays off. Yeah. You know, yeah. we all know kids, you know, bad kids from good homes. We all know good kids from bad homes who somehow have defied the odds. Mm. But that's basically what Proverbs is saying. You know, the odds are better if you're a good parent. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, really? Good. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. And and so using it as a as a hammer to beat someone over the head with is just not a good use of the biblical text. I'm going to say at any time, well, but particularly it, with I th- Proverbs. I think it comes to the surface in Proverbs and is very apparent, but I think it is a it is a uh, a Protestant, particularly evangelical thing to extract principles that yeah. become universals. And uh, yeah. we can see You're when right. we're doing that with something like Proverbs, but we do that. It is done in all over the place. Right. You're right. With the same consequences. Like, that's mm-hmm. not what that's going for, you know? Decontextualized, universal. Here's the essence of the revelation here. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So, yep. It's a perennial widespread problem. Yeah, so that's my that's my knee-jerk reaction to Proverbs a lot of times. Um, I don't... So I'm, I'm actually not preaching from Proverbs on this particular Sunday. Okay, okay. I'm going to... But well, because as much trouble as I've had with Proverbs, I've actually struggled more with Syrophoenician woman. So I'm oh making myself preach on okay. that Sunday. So. Well, that's good. There's a lot. To, yeah. It's a lot of good stuff there. I mean, I, yeah. you're not gonna hear from me, but it's uh, <laughs> it is it is uh, well. Here's a genre question. You're taking things out of the context of the genre that they're written in, and and then piecemeal right. reading of uh, a, a tricky episode like that is. Uh, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we are. We are. So yeah. we, let, we can do. Yeah. We can do something else. All Let's right. Do, you know, uh, how about some, some psalms? We'll do psalms. Or slams, as my students used to say. <laughs> slams. <laughs> they knew the L was in there, but they didn't know where it went. So I got <laughs> Pslam 23, Pslam 125. <laughs> Yeah, a, a psalm slam, slam. Yeah, a psalm slam. That yeah. would be a good. That would be good. Poetry, poetry, slams. Okay, a psalm, psalm, poetry, slam. Something. There's something there to work with. Okay, I think so. I think so. Good thing we have. Uh, we both have the uh, coverings on our microphones. Be That's a lot true. Popping going on here. <laughs> All right, Psalm 125. Yes. Those who trust in the Lord are like mountains. Is this a recommendation? There are they always like mountains? It's like a proverb. Okay. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Unlike the Mount of Olives, which shall be right. cleaved unto everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to keep that thing pinned down. Yeah. But abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time on and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, so that the righteous might not stretch out their hands to do wrong. Right. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their own crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. There's a lot of sign language going on in my peripheral vision here. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was signaling to my son. Good, Kenny. Um, so hard to get the waitress's attention. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing this at a restaurant. Oh. Um, yeah, this is a this is an interesting song, Psalm of Ascent, uh, Book Five, Psalm. Uh, and it's a lot of stuff that could be familiar here. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. The mountains are, of course, these enduring things that uh, cannot be moved, abiding forever. They thought of his protection. The mountains that surround Jerusalem thought of his protection. Um, this is before they understood erosion. So This is right. Well, this is right. It's interesting because this is right after like Psalm 121. You know, I lift up my eyes into the mountains, and where will my help come from? Oh, the that's idea that the interesting. mountains don't provide help. Yeah. And here it's... You know, the Lord is like those mountains. So I think it may even still be building on that. Um, but if the Psalm of Ascent, Psalms of Ascent are pilgrimage psalms, then we have a um, that sense of the celebration. You can almost see them seeing the move, the mountains as they're walking. Mm. But this is a really interesting, this is sometimes thought of as a communal lament, but it's a little different because there's a, there's a sense of assuredness in it. And then there's also a sense of pleading in it um, that, uh, in fact, I don't know that this translation does it justice. In verse three, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous or, or don't let in a sense, uh, the scepter of wickedness, so mm -hmm. that the righteous might not stretch their hands out. In other words, um, don't let the scepter of wickedness be here. Otherwise the righteous will mm -hmm. leave you. So it, it's asking uh, God okay. to intercede. So it's, it's a statement of faith, but then it's yeah. also a, you know, but faith is a tenuous thing. Oh God. So make sure and don't let these wicked people take our faith away. Mm -hmm. Do good to those who are good and take care of those. And um, so it's, it's interesting to have that moment of confidence and then an acknowledgement that, but you know, sometimes confidence is hard and faith is hard and mm -hmm. um, God do your part to not let it happen that we lose our faith. Um, <laughs> and, I work on that prayer a little bit. Yeah, it, well, God, you know, it, do your part. <laughs> There's a, <laughs> there's a really good, it's actually not a bad prayer. It's not um, bad, <laughs> I kind of like it. Um, somewhat, they used a, um, a poem that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote as analogous. Uh, it was an article I was reading on this psalm uh, by Carol Reynolds. Uh, and she wrote this, she used this poem that Bonhoeffer wrote uh, from uh, the hymn um, uh, By Gracious Powers is the name of the hymn. And he wrote the poem, he wrote the verses out in, in his diary uh, while he's in prison and the, it goes like this by gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting come what may we know that god is with us night and morning and never fails to greet us each new day yet in this heart by its old foe tormented still evil days bring burdens hard to bear oh give our frightened souls the sure salvation for which O oh lord you taught us to prepare and so she was acknowledging that, you know, here Bonhoeffer is in prison, and this is a hymn that meant something to him that he wrote that was, look at the way in which it has confidence balanced mm -hmm. with, but at the same time, your heart can be shaken even in the midst of that confidence. Mm -hmm. And she saw that at work in this, in this psalm. And, and I think that's, that's a, a good reading of this, um, yeah. you know, asking for shalom, asking for flourishing, um, making sure the evil don't don't cause you to stumble and, and cause us to lose. You know, we know you're around us. We know you protect us. Mm -hmm. So protect us so that we can hang in there. Um, Should any, anything bad ever happen to Bonhoeffer? Yeah, this is a help. I, right. Exactly. Exactly. In case something might happen. 
that might cause uh, faith to be As hard. you're setting that up, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the voluminous writing he did in prison. I'm thinking, right. what was it like to be his guard? It's like, we are not getting through to this guy. <laughs> it's just, we are not even making an impact. It reminds me of that Far Side cartoon, yeah. the guy in hell. The wheelbarrow whistling. With the wheelbarrow eyes whistling. It's <laughs> yeah. like, we're just not reaching well, this that's guy. That's what I was thinking about as you were talking about this. Yeah. Well, his one of my favorite things Bonhoeffer ever did was that that Who Am I poem, um, that uh, where he's wrestling with, am I that confident, faithful, trusting person the guards see, or am I that person oh. in the dark of my soul that has questions and doubts and frustrations? It is it is oh, an incredibly okay. moving yeah. poem. Mm-hmm. Who am and, I? Uh, as immortalized in uh, in the in in Les Mis. Yes, Les Mis. I, yes. I saw where that joke was going. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd head that one off. Um, I mean, I'll flank him on that one. The uh, the one of my co- former colleagues at a former institution, not Judson, the previous one. Uh, she's now teaching at Berkeley. She's an exceptional linguist, and uh, and she wrote a translation of that poem. She did a translation from German in that poem, and it, it's the it's a translation that to this day for me captured the art of that poem as well as the the words so well. She's I mean, you know the good teaching in the linguistics department at Berkeley. Yes, that's correct. She's like a two-time Fulbright best, scholar. I think that's the best department in the country. She's she's okay. I yeah. mean, she gets she's okay. all right. Okay, you could you could have a pretty good career existing on the fumes that she yeah. gave off. Um, yeah. She was doing about three books a year oh, when she was. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, when she was at the small liberal arts well, yeah, college if you're in the South. If you're not in prison, it's easier. Yeah, it's, to easy, write. it's easier. It's easier. Crank out some books. But uh, her translation of that. Uh, poem is still to this oh, day for wow. me one of the most beautiful translations ever and i've tried to get a copy and i i can't seem to find hmm. i know i had one somewhere but i can't find it wow but uh, it's it is a beautiful translation of that poem but it's it is that it, that poem also i think captures what this psalm is doing as well that sense of that struggle between what it is to have faith and what it is to have those quiet doubts at the same time hmm. and uh that the psalmist here i think is you know has faith but has also got recognizing faith is hard and Asking God to help, help strengthen faith. Yeah, I do, we, this is almost, we do believe, oh God, help our unbelief <laughs> in some mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. Um, yeah. in this. So. Well, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. I'm going to put, I'm going to put some of this, I don't know, I haven't told you about my other sabbatical project on the, the uh, pilgrimage Psalms of Ascent, uh, a long obedience in the, in the same digression. No, that's not a good joke. Okay. I didn't get that one. There's an audience of one. You, you don't know the Eugene Peterson title, a long oh, no. obedience in the same direction on the ascent Psalms. Uh, so yeah. Wow. My audience that's of probably an my, important foundation for me to understand that joke. I would think a psalmist would know that, but that's too, it's too popular. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm definitely. The Psalm scholars aren't popular. Definitely editing that part out. Okay. <laughs> or you could put crickets in. Or add crickets and or laughter. One more. Yeah, either way. Either canned laughter or crickets. It could go either way. So. Wow. Now I'm very interested in reading more Bonhoeffer. Oh, yeah. Who Am I is a great poem, no matter the translation. You got you to look it up. Who Am I? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. 
Reading in Church is proud to partner with Audible.com. For you, the listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. Surely you can find something interesting in all of that. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch for your free audiobook. Go there today. Well, why don't we do all the other Old Testament readings since we're in the Old Testament here? <laughs> well, I suppose we could, but I'd kind of like to move to James, frankly. James has kind of got a foot in both worlds, so I suppose that, he does. that'll work. James, and I guess I'm just going to read chapter 2 all the way to 17. Why not? So, yeah. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while the, to the one who's poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom and he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you become a transgressor of the law. It's just, it's just basic That's science. so nitpicky. That's just the math, the <laughs> wow. math checks here. Joy, it's basic, split hairs science. here. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother and sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Whoa, this guy's so legalistic. My goodness. I'm telling you. So living according to the law here. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, it's the law in Leviticus 19, which is pretty good stuff. There's a lot of Leviticus 19 in James about loving your neighbor as yourself and treating people wait, justly. Wait, that's not Jesus? I thought that was Jesus. Well, Jesus really liked it too. It's kind of a oh, okay. family thing. Maybe Mary oh, liked oh, sure. me, read it to them. You know, families have favorite verses. Yeah, you know, yeah I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Well, this has a lot of, um, you know, when I teach James, I do underscore the uh, the religious dimension of the rich, poor language. Mm -hmm. And it's a thoroughgoing, makes sense of James in its originating context. I don't know if I'm, I've pointed this out. Uh, probably most of the critical commentaries, unless I've been saying this for a number of decades, so I'll probably have to say like 20 to 30, dec 30 years, maybe, maybe 40 years at this point, have thought about James as having two originating contexts, one in Jerusalem, but but the manuscript evidence seems to show that it was really flourished beyond Jerusalem. So it has an original setting that gives makes a lot of sense to uh, the issue of uh, rich and poor, and that this is a very poor congregation. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, what James shares is is broadly applicable in a later context. So they thought that 
James has it originating context in Jerusalem in the uh, events leading up to the Jewish war, but really took root in um, Jewish Gentile crossroads later. And that's where you begin to see the manuscript evidence uh, of copies being uh, um, spread around. So mm-hmm. I usually people read it in its kind of assume it's a broader context. Yeah. Um, I think it, it opens up a lot if you do um, bring to attention people to people's attention the originating context. And one of those is the dimensions they're using a religious dimension to um, rich and poor. Here it kind of uh, folds back on itself. There's a little bit of wordplay. This will be almost be like explaining a, a punchline because it's it's not going to. Well, sometimes people need to do that. Yes, I mean I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah, here his horror is that this isn't a letter where he's always addressing Christians as the poor and not having okay. to explain that. I'm talking about the righteous. I'm talking about believers mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. that was the lot of everyone in his church at the time. Um, but here his horror is that when a poor person economically comes into the congregation of the poor, quote, this, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the righteous, you treat him, you treat that poor, the poor treat that poor person like the rich treat that poor person. Uh-huh. The, and it, it doesn't see, it's not a good punchline that way, but it is it. The, some of the dynamics it. of how this is working within this letter. It's like of all people, how is it that you're treating the poor this way? Right. Um, you people who identify and part of your identity is wrapped up in that concept of being poor and how God provides for and, and is uh, attentive to the poor. Uh, how can you possibly not judge rightly in this context? Mm. Uh, the assumption here is that a synagogue would also, or a congregation, it seems to me that the church um, took these things upon themselves also, that a synagogue functioned as a courtroom. You would, If you're mm. Jewish, particularly in a uh, diaspora synagogue, you're not going to go to the Gentile court when you have right. some issue. You're going to have deal with that in your own community. Mm-hmm. And uh, a number of epistles uh, of Paul will exhort people not to go, you know, don't go to Gentile courts. You guys, you guys can handle this yourselves. Don't you know that the saints are going to judge the earth? Um, so this is a context where both worship context and uh, judicial context, where you have people weighing in and and excuse me uh, rendering judgments. So um, that is not immediately apparent any more than the uh, the thoroughgoing uh, rich poor distinctions between the righteous and the unrighteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a context where it all kind of uh, it's ratcheted up, where the uh, the poor, the righteous are treating the poor, the destitute economically like the the uh, the rich and the unrighteous are treat the yeah. treat the treat you guys the poor and the economically destitute poor. So it's uh, outrageous within the context of his kind of rhetorical scheme in this letter. Yeah, uh, within the originating context, but also really it's in the law. It's it's uh, very thoroughly expounded in Leviticus nineteen, where it says you need to treat your neighbor as yourself. And that's an active thing. You need to love your neighbor. You need to, uh, it's not just, uh, here's the limits of, uh, what you can do to your neighbor, but it's, you need to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Um, and there was an interesting, uh, thing I was hearing the other day about love in the, in these contexts, particularly old Testament context, uh, was a, a sense of knowledge. It was a sense of, of, you know, the other person hmm. and, care for them, but okay. it's to truly know and accept. It's not, 
you know, that it's a love that carries with it uh, a, a, uh, it's hard, you know, we, that word love in English, you know, it's, it's the only one we got and it has to carry a lot of yeah. a meaning with it. But this, that, that in, in both, and, and I think this person was talking about old and new Testament, that that word was, um, I can't remember Maybe where I was com- hearing it. Compassion now. might be closer to. Maybe. Yeah. And that sense of that, you know, them and you, um, and you care for them in that context of knowing them. It's not a, it's not a, you have feelings for them or it's any kind of just, it's, it's actually, I guess community is probably the best word that mm-hmm. you're willing to be in community yeah. with them mm-hmm. and, um, and treat them as you would, as you would wish to be treated. And, and I, if you're, what you're saying is, is, I mean, if that's a good reading of this text and I think it is, mm-hmm. then, then that is, that, that fits that this chapter really well. It doesn't look like he's changing the, t- the topic at all. He's no. saying that, you know, you love your neighbors yourself. You guys are the poor folks. How would you want folks to treat poor folks? Right. Um, and that's not how you're doing it. You're being the rich people toward them. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it, it would be a direct connection to that verse. Well, and, and some of these things that sound so metaphorical are actual lived experiences of the community. You, know, you are mm-hmm. being exploited. You are being dragged in, into courts and, and uh, taken for all mm-hmm. your worth. Uh, <laughs> to go out. This is kind of like Jesus parable of the unforgiving servant who's been yeah, forgiven yeah. so much and then goes and does this is unwilling to forgive a little, a little debt that an, another servant has. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot like that. And the outrage that, uh, that is expressed against this, like, really, really, <laughs> you're going to do this, that you, the poor are going to treat the poor this way. Yeah. So in the context of, uh, of a letter that's really playing upon this this imagery of poor, both as uh, um, God knows your circumstance, uh, you you faithful in the uh, the context of this dire situation in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, and and drawing upon the resources of Scripture, <laughs> and then they're going to turn around and and use uh, you know false scales on the uh, yeah. on the poor, you know, um, and you know this we 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 have these things in front of our courthouses or we used to I ask my students this, you know, what's out in front of, what kind of statuaries are out in front of courthouses? Right. You know, it's like crickets, you know, it's like, right, I don't right. know. Don't, what? Don't know. what are you talking about? There's just a parking lot out front, right. but you know, uh, justice is blind, you know, blindfolded and has a, uh, a fair set of scales, you know, so that you don't, mm-hmm. you're not doing exactly what this is talking about. You see, yeah. you see the person you're respecting, uh, the person, um, looking at them and treating them differently. So yeah, this is, this may apply in a secondary sense to how you treat people in church, mm-hmm. uh, but it also in the, in that context, the churches were also places where you would render judicial decisions and they'd function yeah. as courts within a minority community. Yeah, but you as a pastor now, like if you uh, you know churches have their own traditions. If if you were sure. to notice that. They had people um, in the, you know, kneel down the front row and use them as footrests for the rich. If you yeah, treat them, would, there'd be a good time to nip that in the, you know. Yeah, that, that's probably a good time to te- preach James if that's happening. Yes. Yeah. If you see that, just turn right to James and say, nah, yeah. no more. Yeah. Well, and well, it's interesting because now you've made me, you remind and me. And instruct the that. ushers accordingly. <laughs> that's right. I will upgrade them correctly. <laughs> Um, Mental notes noted. You, I, will, I will write that down. You you made me think of Psalms two. The, Psalm two though, um, make my enemies uh, my footstool, uh-huh. um, or your enemies are the footstool, and that that kings would literally <laughs> would literally do that. Do this, yeah. Um, there's a 
at the uh, well, what museum? I believe it is at the uh, University of Pennsylvania Museum. They've got a really great Egyptology uh, section, and they have these doorposts. And the door post uh, that the doors sit in—I don't know what that part would be called—but on the on the bottom mm-hmm. are depictions of uh, Semitic and other African uh, peoples. That the doors are literally—I mean, they're carved in there, so the doors are literally sitting on these people. Oh boy! Uh, and the doors are opening and closing on their backs. Oh my! Uh, is the image there? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so it is very much—you know—we are better. We are on top. We're and so is that. It, is the sitting at your feet that sense of a footstool? Or yeah, is it just... yeah. Some translations translate it that way. Wow. Okay. <laughs> As you're kneeling down and people have their feet on your back. I don't think I'm going to get a fair trial here. Well, it really is. A, I mean, that's interesting because that really is an image that's going to be conjured up, a royal image of of your th- acting like kings treating yeah. other people as subjects. And his point is you're all the same folks. Yes, yes. Yeah. You've made distinctions among yourselves, mm-hmm. he says, when, in fact. Right, right. Oh, interesting. It is. Uh, it, it is. It's It's interesting, and you hear it all the more forcefully in the context of the, of, of what he's doing with this kind of language throughout. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this could, this could, I don't know, there's, there's also the dimension of diatribe that he's talking about people who aren't there. So I'm, I'm not sure that the rich are coming into their courts, into their synagogue, you know, or their, their congregation mm-hmm. to, to, uh, have this, but it's like how you, if you treat people unfa- unequally in church, like, like you're treated unfairly. And when you're drug into these mm-hmm. courts, uh, what, what's up with that? You know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting passage in that, in that context. And uh, he gets into the you know faith by itself. It, right. it has no work. Uh, it has no works. Is is dead. And these, it is it is a nice correct. One of the reasons it may have flourished as a uh, in a later context in a broader context is that it's a nice balance and corrective to Paul's theology, which you know re- well a particular reading of Paul's theology. Well, it, it, they share exact same language of uh, works and righteousness and uh, something else and they also use the same illustration of Abraham so it will be very there there a nice counterbalance in how they're using yeah. this but clearly this is this is not talking about superficial practices of spirituality right or, right or legally this is um acts of compassion you know would would Paul Paul would have no problem with this chapter no no he'd have absolutely yeah. no problem right so it's a corrective to reading misreadings of Paul right um out of balance readings of Paul would say works, you know, faith without, without any works as opposed to, well, right. faith is going to, uh, engender acts of compassion, which Paul mm-hmm. is all over Paul's writing. So, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think, uh, how, why this may have really uh, something that's very rooted in originating context becomes a broadly palatable or useful uh, mm-hmm. in the in the church. It's an interesting, probably an interesting study of of canonical. You know, why do things end up in the in the canon with right. these very unique histories that that are then broadly applicable? Yeah, that these speak in some way that other things don't speak. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, of course, Martin Luther famously hated this book because of this passage. Yes, right. Yes, that's but right. 
he was having a particular concern with regard to particular practices by the church. Right. And again, yeah. it's one of those times where when you have shared vocabulary, yeah, it it can lead to you can you can be using the same word and mean two different things. Oh yeah, and yeah. and this is one of those places where yeah. they're using the same word. And... Yeah, there's a big overlap in vocabulary, and that's probably what attracted what's attractive right. in terms of a canonical usage of yeah, this true. text. So that's true. Yeah, but you know, on the you know, other hand, Luther had. Bigger fish to fry, as it were. He did. In he his still, time. And, and as I point out to the students, he still translated it, and he still put it in his Bible. So, okay. Though he struggled with it, it was still, uh-huh. he, he still respected the canon enough to, uh, yeah. to keep it in there. Yeah. Now, I'm not willing to believe he preached from it at any time, but... Uh, <laughs> but he had a tone. He had a tone when he preached from it. Yeah, right. Am I uh, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> This is, James the, this is the word of the Lord, air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm not Jesus sure God. what to do with that. Oh. Did he just air quotes the word of God? You're <laughs> <laughs> in <Aaron> Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> right. Right. That would be good. Yeah. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> there, there are some passages wink, you, wink. I might be tempted to do that on, but... Uh, yeah, James is not one of them. I I can handle James. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in short, don't murder or commit adultery. I think is what. Okay, it, so he was coming down against that. Pretty, I, that's what. See, it seemed like he was coming strong, against that. Pretty strong. So. Pretty ambiguous. And of course, Paul would agree with that. Okay, you sure? Paul would agree with that. <laughs> well, yeah. that probably wasn't the passage. Now that, that he's a uh, Christian, he's not murdering anyone. <laughs> Right. That's probably the, there was, the section. There was Stephen. There's a whole that whole issue. <laughs> yeah, that oh that little bugaboo. Okay. <laughs> Talk about after you're baptized. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Got me choked. Sorry. <laughs> um. Well, since I don't have any problems with James, you want to go to a passage I've had problems with in the course of my life? Why not? All right. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. From there, he, I'm assuming he is Jesus. Yeah, I'm usually, uh, that's yeah, be my first out, guess. It's not capitalized. It set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. It was probably his jacket. He had one of those Nehru <laughs> pink, bright red jackets. Uh, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the little children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon, out. No, that's not what he said. Uh, The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. That, well, she probably shouldn't have left the demon as babysitter. Yeah. Um, then, then he returned from the region of Tyre, went by the way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Oh, man. Um, this was everybody getting this show write this down. showboating then, then looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him Ephatha that is be opened by the way this is another case where he speaks Aramaic and a miracle happens uh-huh. along with oh, okay. anyway uh, and immediately his Magic. ears were opened his tongue was released and he spoke plainly 
Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more they zealously they the more zealously they proclaimed it because you know reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were astounded beyond measure, saying, "He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak." Yeah. If he didn't want us to talk about it, why did he make them mute to speak? Right. <laughs> That's right. We, Am think, I right? I think we're tracking with him. Uh, I, I brought up that point of the Aramaic because on a podcast about, oh, I don't know, a year ago, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned that when he raised the little girl, he speaks mm-hmm. Aramaic. Yeah. And uh, and this paper I heard said anytime he speaks Aramaic, a miracle happens. Uh, and the, that's significant because you get... Except on the cross. Well, well, then he was pointing it out oh. that that's when the veil rips oh. and God comes out okay. in answer to that cry uh. so that that's the moment there. Okay. Uh, when that happens. So anyway, hmm. um, okay. just wanted to correct that. Not because I said, I think that this may be the only moment because I couldn't find any mm-hmm. other moment, oh, but, okay. but this is another moment where that happens, where he speaks Aramaic and a miracle happens. Hmm. So, okay. That's interesting. Anyway. We'll have to think about that one. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm going to think about, <laughs> okay, okay. We just take some time and just take your time. Halfway through um, this, I realized I have only looked at the verses, the first half. Moment. I didn't look at anything in the rest. <laughs> Well, we'll just we'll just yeah. you know focus on that. Well, yeah, I said last week, and I've said many times, my problem with this passage is not the Syrophoenician woman. Oh, the, it's the racist Jesus. I hear you. Ra- I hear you. <laughs> it's racist <laughs> Jesus is my problem. <laughs> and and I know that there are uh, progressive readings from from feminist interpreters that I respect who are like, aren't we glad that we've got this Syrophoenician woman who can finally get Jesus back on track? Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, and I and I struggle with that interpretation. Well, because I don't feel like that's in keeping with the rest of the Jesus we see in the Book of Mark. So, <laughs> no, no, no uh, nor, nor the hero being depicted in this narrative. Right. You no, know, I think uh, we really should have edited that part out. I don't know. Uh, yeah, really. Tra- Someone a closer <laughs> reading would have taken racist very, Jesus out. Winsome you know, Jesus here. Ra- racist confused Jesus is. What is he adding to the story? I mean, I mm-hmm. like the twist yeah, here. But, yeah, yeah, it's like no. the edginess, but hmm. I struggle a little bit with that. So, so you know, I struggled with what to do with this. So, yeah. so go ahead, make make it better for me again. You've helped me before. Well, help me again. I knew you were going to preach on this, and then we had talked about this, and we talked about trends of, like you just said, there's trends of reading it that way, and I think that that says something about our culture that that's a it's a cultural moment about it's not a bad message that we can be captive to our culture and not aware of things that we that a yeah. A person who's open to growing would might might be pointed out to them. That's, I mean, it, it would be it's a surprising thing to think you're. I grew up in a racist culture, but I'm not racist. You know, it's like, well, right. you know, really, right. yeah. Why don't you ask someone who's in the bottom rung of that culture uh, their perspective? However, I don't think that would be in keeping with the genre of a gospel, which is a lot like a. You know, a biography to agree to a degree. It's it's uh, you're depicting someone you would want to emulate and follow and and model yeah. your life after, and and so it's not really dealing with Mark on his own terms. That that's, it would be yeah. it's a hard, you'd be hard pressed to say that that's something Mark wants to convey in this yeah. in this narrative. Now let me ask this question. Now let me we'll set aside the the dog line and the which is. Pro- problematic, but the leash, where the dog yeah, line. A, oh, the I'm dog line. Okay, yes. We set you know verse thirty-seven, but um, it, it is interesting to me, and, and I was I've been obviously I've been thinking about this passage. The it remind for some reason it reminded me of 
John when um Jesus, she, when Mary comes to John to Jesus and says, "Would you do something?" and mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, my time hasn't come yet," and then he does something. Uh-huh. Or if or, you had Jesus, been you, here. you coming up to the festival? Uh, yeah. Or if you'd been here, or mm-hmm. Jesus, you coming up to the festival? No, I'm not going to the festival. Then he went on up to the yeah, festival. Right. I mean, how many times that you know, particularly in John, in particular, where people are trying to talk him into stuff, and he's like, "No, nah, I'm not going to do it." And then you know what? I'll go ahead and do it anyway, without saying anything. He just goes ahead and does it. Yep. But this is this is almost like that, where it's you know. You heal my daughter. Well, I'm not going to heal your daughter. And all right, I'll heal you. I mean, it's, well, it's there. There's a okay. That was not the tone for the story. I understand, but <laughs> fine. God, these people are such a burden. <laughs> you sound like you're gotta, doing your Luther reading James voice there for a minute. <laughs> gotta go to the festival. <laughs> gotta make wine. Oh, gotta festival. heal a daughter. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. No, I, yeah. but but that sense of of people compelling Jesus to do things that Jesus at least initially doesn't seem interested in doing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. The, that's a thoroughgoing motif in John where right. it's really, it's really, it's more, it stands out more than you're going to see that in, in the other gospels that, that he's, he's doing things okay. that there's no relief for him. He's going, he's trying to retreat. He's trying to go away and, and restore himself. So for another cycle of ministry and people are hounding him. Um, okay. Whereas in John, it's very much about he doesn't do anything that he doesn't see his father doing. It's it's right. he only work, right. he only moves at the prompting of his father because he's a, he's revelation of God's actions. Okay, so it's not that the people have talked him into it in John. It's that once God has said it was okay to do it, yeah. he'll do it. Yeah. He's not doing right. it because people. I'm are not doing to it because do you I said gotcha. it. I'm doing gotcha. it. God, <laughs> I God, want to because God oh. told me to. That's right. Okay, I got it. Oh. Yeah, I just happen to be doing it now. Yeah. When they see and him at the festival, like that's what he told them when <laughs> they saw him at the festival. <laughs> Wait a minute. God said I could come now, so there. <laughs> wasn't you? It wasn't you. Um, that's not. That's not what's happening. This in Mark 7. is that's what I'm hearing no. You say. This is the. Uh, this is the rule of improv. Yes, and that's what he's. Appreciates about this woman. She's she's gonna go with that dog metaphor, you know. Yes, and so it's the one thing right here. It's like the the law of improv is to just go with it. You Always know? say yes. Always That's right. say yes. If there's one takeaway here. Well, yeah. No. It's uh. This is in a larger context of feedings. There's two two feedings uh, here, and one is in. Uh, Jewish territory, and then he crosses the sea, which always symbolizes broader mission, and and uh, specifically into Gentile territory. We've already seen that with the uh, with Gary, right? Mm-hmm. With Gary, that's right, <laughs> Gary. Gary. Uh, and there's this. That's Gary the Garrison demoniac. Yes, for those of you Gary who are just joining our podcast, yes, yes, check that I've out. I named him Gary. I, and we, I like it. I should get some merchandise on Zazzle for that. <laughs> you should, Gary. <laughs> Gary <laughs> the demoniac. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kitching. Um, so this is in the context of a lot a of pig s- named Gary. sayings about <laughs> about bread. Um, what you have are this abundant these feedings. It was this abundance of bread. As I thought about this uh, today or the last few days, I'm wondering if there's some sort of a image in the feeding that you know you, you don't take up the manna because it spoils but here you have something you have this abundance mm. you know god provided a feast in the wilderness but how much more is you know jesus fulfilling that but you have an abundant you know the feeding of multitudes they take up the the uh leftovers 
Okay, you have these balanced against scraps here. And with the mm-hmm. leftovers, and Jesus begins to teach about um, the leaven of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees. Yeah, yeah, and they say, is this because we didn't bring enough bread? They're, they're like super dense people. It's like, yeah. you've been given this abundance of blessing and revelation, which is what that the bread is pointing to in, in Jesus' mm-hmm. ministry. And they just don't get it. Well, here's a woman who's begging for scraps. You know, a crumb from your feast will suffice me. You know, she's this extraordinary outsider counterexample who's totally not going to be dissuaded by that, that, uh, that saying. So I think this is, uh, this is plain, you know, as uh, I sent you an article, it said it doesn't want to use this language, but it uses the language of devil's advocate or, or, uh, you can yeah that's a that's a problematic it's a pr- problematic to yeah, use yeah, yeah. with jesus yeah, I mean, jesus is being devil's yeah, advocate turn these rocks really? into the stones wait a minute what who says that but it is as a teacher you know you can have different conversations with your really yes. advanced students and it's yes. it's enjoyable in fact you can you can feign uh being dumb you know you right. can let them shine you can let them give voice to to what you know they're capable of Right, you know, right. and so this woman just stands out as so much a dramatic contrast to the imperception on the part of Jesus' disciples up to this point. Right. Well, what you say that that Jesus wins every argument in Mark except this one. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's more than happy to let her triumph over this during yeah. this transition between two feedings, one in a Jewish context, one in a Gentile context. Uh, during this transitional, these transitional passage as he's moving into even broader Gentile ministry. And bread is something that you, the, there's all these doublets in Mark, things he did in Jewish territory, he's going to do in Gentile territory. And this is one of those transitions between those, those miracles he's done in the Gentile mm. Jewish territory, he's going to start doing in Gentile territory. So he, so it's a symbol in many ways that the Gentiles are ready oh, they're, they're, for, they're, for that message. They're hungry, they're, hungry they just, for that they're message. They're hungry for that. Yeah. 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 What kind of faith is this? That's like, uh, you know, you're providing a feast, though. Though your <laughs> your crew doesn't get it, you know, you're providing a, a a vast feast of abundance, and I I will I will just take any crumb from that table, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing it reminds me, you know, I've spent a lot of time taking care of my dog, uh, or I've inherited a dog who's really my yes. wife's dog, and he just comes and stares at me every time I eat, and it's like I'm not going to give you anything, and I always end up giving him something, you know. Right. It's like dogs have been doing this for millions of years. So yes, you're, yes, you're going to give me something. That's kind of what it's kind of what I do. It's kind of why I live inside and sleep on the couch, you know. Right. Right. I'm very patient. That's our deal. And I've got, I, I, I used to go to this uh, bilingual church and uh, the pastor used to have, he had all these sermons about dogs. What great examples of faith they are. He had, yes. they had well, they are, so actually. many. I know. I know they're amazing examples of faith. And as so I think about that, well, I don't always think about it, but I'm reminded of that this time uh, when she's like, I'm totally going to go with this dog metaphor. You know, yeah. I can work with that. You know, because they get they talk about outsiders. I mean, these right. are these are people who you know, animals who've evolved with us and are now part of our family. I, I sometimes right. I when I talk about uh, first century culture, I talk about the differences in in uh, in family structure and things like that, and I try to provoke an argument. But I I ask the question: Are dogs part of the family? Yeah, it usually divides my class in half, and there's a heated argument about that, but. It's just, it's interesting because we do treat dogs like 
part of the family, you know? They are. They're outsiders. (laughs) They're animals. Well, it's interesting. I saw a psychology study. You know how... um, you know how when you get older, or maybe when you're not even older, you mix up all the names of your kids? Oh, yeah. Um, you, yeah. Well, I've been calling you, my mean, dog Aiden a few times. Well, <laughs> the funny, my, my grandfather had three sons, and I was the fifth grandson. And so I was the eighth name that he would get to when he would try and think of my name, mm-hmm. because it was always Glenn, G, Ed, John, Steve, Keith, Rob. Rex. And like, yes, that's me. Um, <laughs> but, they were, but the psychologist was saying that if you can have imagine your brain as a folder that that you keep all of the names in the same folder mm-hmm. you keep like family names in that folder yeah. and and that's why you don't confuse them with the mailman but you confuse them all because they're kids yeah. and that's the folder for them right. well that dogs for most people mm-hmm. are kept in that same yeah, that's place right. and and your that's brain right. and so they are there you're thinking of dogs as you would think of so yes my mother has called me dusty which mm-hmm. is the name of mm-hmm. our dog and i've um, and i have called my my dog, when he's doing something, it's like, yeah, my son's name comes out. It's very, right. yeah. yeah I, it, it's okay when that way, but my mom called me the dog. Yeah. Name, so, yeah well, it know. goes both that, ways. Yeah, okay. It goes both right, ways. They're, they're on the same folder. But yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, those, they're on the same folder. It is. Linguistically, you study, uh, you study grammatical mistakes to figure out how the brain is structured. So, yeah. It's, yeah. So that's what Jesus is telling us. That's, that's basically the point here. I think, I think it, he enjoys this this uh, this dance that he's inviting her to. You know, yeah, he's perceiving something and 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 provoking a, a a response. I mean, you never see him treat anyone like this. You know, no, that's right. Yeah, because uh, he learned his lesson. He really yeah, right. <laughs> right from this. Yeah, Jesus finally got finally. it here, boy. Yes. Well, it is. You, you do see him having this conversation here. I mean, if with that context that you're giving me, right, that this is the beginning of this Gentile ministry, that that this is this moment where she's mm-hmm. saying, look, we are hungry. We are ready. We we're take we'll take anything. Mm-hmm. It really does come off as a woman at the well. Yeah. In Mark, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. is someone mm-hmm. who can hang with Jesus right. and gets it. She, and, she, and she can track with me. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's some yeah. people probably don't know. I'm going to kind of remove the fourth wall oh, for a boy. minute, you know, because I know that we share so much. I'm going to reveal. I'm actually not an idiot, you know, out in daily life. Yeah. Not as much That's... as I am on the podcast. Right. A much smaller so, percentage. Okay. okay. Except around people. I mean, I know that you, <laughs> you know where I'm going, usually know where I'm going. You know, I, yes, I, I have did. the freedom I to did. do that because like, oh, right. he gets me, you know, uh, I, I can, I can, I can play that role. And and uh, I think about this, this is like, well, this is a pretty sophisticated exchange here, you know? I th- it doesn't really exactly, this isn't a great example. I always think about what they said about Fred Astaire, you know, as a great a dancer as he was. You know, Ginger Rogers did everything he did backwards, backwards in high heels. In heels, you know? yeah. <laughs> so there's something about that, you know? There's something about conferring, like, oh, these two people are, this is an interesting, intricate dance here going on, you know? That's interesting. And he plays a little bit different role here. Let, he, yeah. He's in a, you know, she's he's he's coaxing this out of her. I think he's given her course, an opportunity. My, my favorite moment is the one that the student that doesn't get it. And you know, this was oh, yeah. that student in class, mm-hmm. and I said, uh, you know, because I, I was talking about you cultivating this persona of awkwardness <laughs> that you love. Yeah. You told me the story. You absolutely yeah. love yeah. the awkward moment yeah. and awkwardness. And she said, "No, no, he's just really awkward." I'm like, "No, you don't understand. <laughs> he, he, that's an act. He is he is cultivated." And she goes, 
No, no I, I think he's really awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, I promise. And she's like, no, no. I couldn't convince her. I couldn't convince her that you're not an idiot and, I, and well, awkward. No, I don't break character too often. Yeah. Yeah. So it's <laughs> Well, actually, I do. I mean, I'm teaching them tons of stuff. Like... Well, the awkward, yeah, there's the awkwardness thing. So, see, I see, I'm just me. That was always easier. But you have cultivated this persona in which you truly yeah, enjoy. Yeah, no, the I enjoy moment. the like. Okay, that's what I should say. Then, like, what would be the, you know, the what would be the, what, would, what would make this as weird as what possible? would be the side door into this, you know, teaching right. moment, you know? And sometimes that door yes. is locked, and sometimes it's <laughs> slammed on my slammed in my face. Uh, but I, it's like. I, I get bored otherwise, unless I can think of a new way to I mean, I <laughs> Entertaining do. yourself. I do. Yeah, that's good. It's not a boring topic, but it's like, you know, uh, pedagogically, I want to try something new. So, so, so is this a, is this a racist statement? Jesus. No, Jesus was, he was just bored. <laughs> <laughs> he was cultivating an awkward persona. He's bored with those, this, those, those, you know what? Those that's an angle that hasn't been explored. Imperceptive <laughs> disciples he has to hang out with all the time. Uh, is this because yeah. we didn't bring enough bread? Is this about the bread? <laughs> you didn't like the bread, was it? Oh my gosh, you uh, get it. Face palm. Yeah. 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 No, this is a little bit of a, it's probably, Jesus probably really enjoyed this conversation, I'm thinking. So the mention of her being Syrophoenician and And not Gentile. because he was a racist enjoyed it, not in that right. sense. Right. Yes. <laughs> again, I understand. again, that's a different podcast. Yeah. Um, the fact that she is named as both Gentile and Syrophoenician, what is, is that just to emphasize her otherness? Oh, I mean, either one yeah. of those would have been enough. Yeah. I don't know. To tell us she's an outsider. Specifically, that's putting a fine point on it. And she's a woman. So, and she's a woman. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And she's asking him for something. Um, right. Yeah. She's a, so. she's a great model of, uh, of faith here. I just, I mean, it's a real brief interchange, but it is like you say, here's a, if we think about it, I'd have to think about all the characters and the interchange that Jesus has. I, I do make a point of highlighting the woman at the well, but I wondered if there's anyone who really is on a level with this woman, you know, in terms of yeah. faith and the way she's engaged, even even Jesus making it a little bit harder for her, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like, are you going to rise to this level? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <clears throat> So, so you're really seeing Jesus, the teacher here. Oh, absolutely. Jesus, the teacher, seeing, absolutely. seeing a student who because, can handle. Because more than half of my time, I'm doing the, I'm doing the opposite. Like you know, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah. hence people can get the wrong impression. Except, you know, I'm in the early, I just taught my second class of, uh, of Luke tonight. And I still have to, I'm still, I've learned to say, when I say something, I come in, I forget what it was today. And someone said, is that, is that right? It's like, no, let me just lay the groundwork again. I'm, if if you wonder whether I'm kidding or not, I'm kidding. You know, as a rule, right. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know? That's the rule. Which means, yeah. which also means you have to lean in. Okay, if That's you want right. to get it, it actually can draw the class in. However, someone who still thinks I'm an, a knucklehead wasn't leaning in. I'm they, pretty pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, how did he get tenure? He's, yeah, right. The chair of the department. Right. What? And and though you made a joke about it, and I made a joke about it the the messianic secret at the end of this passage is because you need resurrection crucifixion and resurrection to understand what's happening right 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 yeah, yeah. now uh i was kind of caught up short because i thought oh this passage is longer than i thought i really just was doing some outside reading on the syrophoenician woman and sent you a an article um i didn't even look at this but i'm thinking i'm thinking usually when someone can't speak or is blind it usually it's tapping into this this struggle of 
in perception of people just don't get Jesus. They don't understand right. him. Right. So I'm not, I'm trying to have to think about what that means in this context. I haven't, I haven't thought about it. I just was taken up short. Um, well, she's still in the Decapolis. And so that's still Gentile territory. Mm-hmm. Right? But and, it's some sort of, it, um, I don't know if this is uh, this rebel, if, whether it's, it speaks to the revelation that is coming to Gentiles, you know, um, mm-hmm. or is this somehow reflected on the lack of perception on where he has been ministering? And Well, it is interesting that she, she gets him, she gets him back on track. Right. And uh, <laughs> no, she, she, she shifts his folks. She's telling him Gentiles are ready. Mm-hmm. And then he says, be opened. Uh, to this, oh, what okay. we assume would be a yeah. Gentile. I think that's an interesting. I want to, yeah, I'll have to look at that. Maybe pairing. I, in you know, this. I think so. There's a real contrast here between this incredibly perceptive woman and then this image of imperception, which Jesus, yeah. which Jesus heals. So, um, exactly how that's playing out in Mark, I need to think about. Um, because really, to get this, you need to, the broader context. You need to. Oh, right. Jesus has been thing. talking about bread all this time. He's going to keep talking about bread to Gentiles. Right. Um, and this is this uh, this begs for a little more context, which I haven't looked at. Yeah, it's interesting to me that that the people who push back against this, or or I guess the the people in favor of the racist Jesus interpretation um, that this woman is correcting, are are understanding a particular notion of uh, incarnation and and Jesus and and what Jesus of Nazareth looked like, but. You're coming at it from a, 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 I think in some ways the same notions of incarnation, but for you it's Jesus, the teacher, and the one who can wink and laugh. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. I think so. And, yeah, and kind of be almost playful mm. uh, in this exchange here, not the dour Jesus who has you know asked her to. You know, I think in this context, and, there's a little bit. This is kind of an honor to. You know, I don't play the idiot with everyone. <laughs> I play the yeah, idiot that, with my true. good friends, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and my freshmen. And, <laughs> and, and in the faculty meeting. And that's true. I get well, I guess I do play with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, scratch that. I guess people could get the wrong impression. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, I don't recall. Let's just remember that you opened this podcast with Big Mike. Big Mike. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Big Mike can be can examine himself and not feel defensive. So, yeah, yeah okay. that's good. My little Mike would really struggle at this point. <laughs> <laughs> little Mike might edit this part out. <laughs> well, then maybe now's a good time to stop so that uh, we don't. Do well, that, well so. we might remember what we we're talking about as soon as we turn the mics off. I'm sure it'll come to us. We'll just keep talking. Oh, it's been a while, hasn't it? So, I'm looking at the time. All right, we'll pick this up. Uh, we'll pick this That's up good. next week. That sounds good. We're going to remember where we stopped, and uh, we'll pick up next week. Well, I hope you've had a good week. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Hope you've gotten something to uh, to talk about. Um, hope that you will follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, shoot us an email, leave a review, uh, shop at Zazzle, and buy some of our merchandise. Gary. Mm-hmm. And and, and don't, I'm don't, sure don't don't go listen to racist Jesus podcast. Don't I'm, listen I'm to the not racist Jesus podcast. That, that uh, was not an alternate title for this podcast. No, we, it was we've not. Had several, but racist Jesus not, not even one of considered. Them. What is that to be the title of this episode though? That's the question. Uh, that will not be racist Jesus. Let's just take okay. that off the table right now. All right, all right. We'll make that clear then. Okay. Well, have a great week, everybody. Have a great week. This is Big Mike signing off. <laughs> Blessings. Blessings. <laughs>